eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, Brittany and Eric here. We are here. We just want to take a second to, like, say something really important. Really important. So we had our live show. Yes. And it was great. So much fun. And uh, we had some very special people in the audience from the Park Avenue Armory Youth Corps, uh, which is like a group of high school aged interns who get paid to like help out with the arts and also like explore all that the arts can offer. Yes. And this this summer, they are producing a podcast. Yes. And we went and sat and talked with them yes. um, not too long ago. And as I was blown away. I had such an amazing time. I had an awesome time. These are is such a cool group of kids. They're learning a lot, really interested in like all the details of, of the project they're trying to produce. Mm-hmm. And we learned a lot, too. It was just really inspiring to sit around a lot of kids who are working to create this type of product and want to learn more about like art and podcasting and like the intersection of like how you create art and who consumes it. I learned a lot. I kind of don't even like this word, but like they had the most decorum of any yeah. people that like I had met for the first time recently. So they had a ton of great questions for us. They were great at answering our questions. They gave us like a few of them gave us a tour of the building, which yeah. if you've never if you live in New York and like us, you have never been well up until like you know recently, you've never been to the Park Avenue Armory. It it is an amazing space. You have to go. Yeah, and like the, and the program that they have there with the youth corps is incredible. So we really wanted to just say thank you to them. Yes. For not only supporting our live show, but for inviting us out and for just really helping to remind us how big the community of podcasting is. Yes. And who all is listening. And we are so thankful that that, that group includes... Uh, the Park Ave Armory Youth Corps. Yes. So thank you guys so much. And we can't wait to hear what you guys come up with. Yes. Hopefully you'll share. Yes. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And we are. For Colored Nerds. The conversations that black people have. When white people aren't in the room. But we record them. And we put them on the internet. Today is going to be a little different. Today is going to be a little different. We're not, we're not going to waste too much time telling you about all the things that are not going on in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to give you some somewhat of like a break from that. Yes. Uh, but in the first half of today's show, we are going to talk about a little bit of self-care. Yes. It's, which is much needed for everyone. Yeah. much These days, Even shit. for us. Considering the fact that we have nothing going on. <laughs> I got number stress. Um, and then the second half of the show, we are going to actually get out of the studio and we're going to take a little 
for Color Nerds Field Trip. Yes, it's been so long slash the we've, first time. I was going to say, I'm like, we ne- we've never actually taken a field trip. So, uh, Eric, recently I posed a question to you. And, you know, I, I want to, before I get to the question, I, I want to get into why I asked you the question. Okay. Uh, so, Eric, this has been, like, to me, maybe the shittiest summer. Not just, like, even news cycle and, like, all of this, like, tragic and traumatic and depressing news just with black men dying, black women dying, black trans women dying, queer people and queer people of color having their spaces invaded in Orlando. Like, it's just been really fucking shitty. And then you add to all of that the ridiculous circus that has been the election. Yeah. And uh, it kind of, like, can be just really tiring to be a black person in the world for the past uh, few months. It's been kind of tough. So what I asked you is, what have you been doing to stay sane this summer? One, I totally agree. It's the summer has just been taxing, like yeah. in a way that I like. Honestly, I can't can't really process. But I would have to say the thing that I have done this summer um, that I haven't done most summers that has really, really kind of like helped and saved me has honestly been reading again, like reading books specifically. I've been reading books in a way that I haven't. Uh, for a long time, like we, I mean, we, we're article people. Yes, I don't think I think it's safe to say. Yes, um, I mean that's how the show got started. We started, we were passing articles yeah. back and forth and talking about it. And not that I I, I love books, but I just never I never quite had the uh, dedication uh-huh. to um, to sit with a book for any any given amount of time to get through it. But three books this summer really like put me on my ass. Mm took me away, forced me to think about other things and make new connections yeah. that I really appreciate. So the first one is White Girls by Hilton Alls. Oh, yeah. I meant to read that. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah. So we we talked about it very briefly. I can't remember which episode. I think it was a Lemonade episode. Yeah, it was a Lemonade yes. episode. Hilton Alls is a writer for The New Yorker. Yes. And he's amazing. He's a cultural writer. Mm-hmm. Black man. Yes. A black queer man. Mm-hmm. And his ability to weave together like culture and racial narratives and and sexual narratives too is like just profound like Mm -hmm. i I was talking to some people like i'm in a book club and someone suggested the book and you know we try to read something in a month and i was like i'm i'm gonna be honest with you it's a uh, white girls is a collection of essays Mm -hmm. and it is tough to get through not in the way that the the writing the writing challenges you Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that, honestly, I haven't been challenged before, Mm -hmm. at least not recently. Like, it's the type of book, like, everything feels artful, but it's also you have to figure out how you're supposed to interpret it. Yeah. And so I read read a lot of paragraphs over and over and over again to Mm -hmm. just be like, what am I supposed to be taking away from this? Like, what am I supposed to understand? Um, In addition, his positions are not easily drawn conclusions in the sense that it's not something um, it's safe to say I wouldn't come to it. I wouldn't have come to any of these on my own. Yeah. <laughs> For example, he challenges our notions of Malcolm X in a way that I honestly haven't been faced with before. I don't want to spoil it, <laughs> but I, I know that's like really vague, uh-huh. but he forces you to take another look at Malcolm X and his relationship with his mother. Interesting. Um, and I have never, frankly, been confronted with that. Yeah. Uh, and it made me be like, well, damn, I can't find the lie. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, I, I don't quite agree with everything, but it's one of those books that you're like, 
I can't argue with you because you clearly done the work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I respect that. And it's one of those books that, like, again, I really, really recommend. It It will it stretch my brain. Mm-hmm. So quickly, the other two. Invisible Man got the whole world watching. Oh, Michael Denzel Smith. Yes. Excellent book. Um, very much, like, it, it's, it's a memoir that... I kind of I think expands itself beyond his his particular narrative. It basically uses the narrative of a lot of the events that 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 we know, you know, like the election of Barack Obama, uh-huh. um, the Jena Six uh-huh. um, wow, yeah. kind of situation. Like it uses all those things. He weaves them together within his own personal memoir, and it's just really, really well done. And as a black man who's went on a journey, <laughs> <laughs> I can of attest. Growth, I can attest. I can attest. Um, it was really great. Like reading it, I was like, wow, he he went on a similar journey and I could really identify with that. He challenged himself, um, you know, in the book. He he doesn't necessarily paint himself in the best light mm-hmm. initially, but he, he shows his growth. Uh, and it was it's excellent. Great read. Um, not that long either. The last book, uh-huh. which is also great, which I you also read. What is it? Is The Mothers. Oh, my God. The Mothers. By Britt Bennett. Oh. Um and like, fuck, man, it's a quick read. It hasn't come out yet. It will be out in uh, October. October. From Riverhead early, Books. Yes. Early October, Riverhead Books, uh, The Mothers. It's like a, it's kind of like a soap. Yeah. I was going to say, it takes a lot of the best elements from like Dawson's Creek. Yeah. With like this really gorgeous writing. Yes. And like. Every page just has at least a line or two that you're like, wow, that was beautiful. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, And it's not necessarily like this profound declaration but it's something like when you read it you're like the way this was strung together makes me feel something mm-hmm. that's nice yeah and i just really really enjoyed it it was probably the of the of the three books i've named it's the lightest in terms of like the content even though it's a drama yeah like it's definitely a drama but it's one of those things like you read it and even though it's taking you through this kind of em- emotional journey you you kind of feel good at the end yeah well i I liked it because like it's the protagonist is a 17 year old black girl basically set in like the present day Mm -hmm. but like she wasn't like just like this big like mishmash of like like walking mistakes yes she (laughs) also wasn't like this very like cookie cutter by the book she had a rich inner life she's very smart as was and there's another um young female protagonist too and it was just like they they were provided with such like amazing minds yeah that like i read it and i was like this is like this is what it's like like this is how it felt like this is familiar yes it felt so familiar and i had just never really seen like like adolescent black women rendered so clearly in this sense. I mean, that could have also to do with the fact that like the author is 25. Yeah. First book. Oh my God. She knocked out of the park. The writing is unbelievable. She put into words some stuff that I didn't even know how to process. Yeah. So, I mean, really, really quick, uh, cause we haven't really talked about the the story, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, it's about this girl who yeah. you, who you mentioned. Nadia. Nadia and kind of her journey through life in relation to, um, two of her friends. Yeah. And, you know, how we come in and out of each other's lives yeah. and, and intersect. And it's, it's. I don't want to say too much more about, I want to say too much more about it because you need to read it. Yeah. Um, but it's an excellent book and I think it's probably going to do really well. I think it's going to do really well. And she deserves like all the things for it. Yeah. So yeah, th- like those three books really have carried me through this summer. 
in a way that like I can't explain. I can totally, I can definitely attest on the mothers. And I do play, actually, I was about to order uh, Invisible Man, got the whole world watching, but sure. I am going to borrow your copy <laughs> um, because the budget bees like that right yeah. now. So what's been keeping me sane this summer? I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, everybody, at least in my actual life, and definitely my therapist knows this, boundaries are like my least, like I... Not a lot of strong development here <laughs> until recently <laughs> in my life. And like I'm finding that more and more demands are put on me from my personal life and from work. I've had a lot of really good opportunities. And with a lot of great opportunity comes like a lot of shit that you have to do. It takes a lot out of you. Yeah. And then add to that like, I don't know, life ain't no crystal stare because I'm a black woman. <laughs> like I'm really fucking tired. And like. Like, in this way that, like, it doesn't matter if I sleep seven or eight hours a night. Like, I'm tired. And I just honestly hit, like, a wall as far as just, like, energy-wise, creatively. And I've learned that, like, there's this tool that I think, like, I know a lot of men use. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) of all walks of life. And that definitely also a lot of white people use, which is just fucking saying that you're not going to do some shit. Just fuck, yeah. just saying that you're not going to do some shit. Just letting somebody know that, like, you know, I mean, Oprah, I know, has said it. And all these other people are always like, no, it's a complete sentence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But just sort of, like, really figuring out the ways in my life in which, like, I'm showing up for other people or taking on more than I need to. Um, and just fucking being like, I'm not going to do that. Or I can't do that. Or I won't be able to make it that day. Or that time doesn't work for me. Or these are the days that I can actually be present. And then, like, the other three, four, five days of the week, I don't really know if I can help you out. Or even just being, like, you know, mm, the next two weeks, regardless of whether or not I have a lot of work to do, I'm fucking exhausted. And I have shit that I need to do to take care of myself. So basically just, like, saying no, setting up boundaries. And this is the real, this is the real major key that I used to think I didn't have access to. Not working. Mm. So I go to work, obviously. You see me there every damn day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm still working very early in the morning or later in the evening. And obviously you and I are here right now on a weekend. But I have really learned that, like, there's never a point where, like, you can, like, inbox zero is a great concept. Inbox zero, for those of you guys who don't know, is, like, when you have no no new emails in your inbox. And you work to that, like, every day. Yeah. And, like, inbox zero is great. But it's also just, like, to me, it's, like, it's not real. Whatever bullshit you're dealing with. It's probably ongoing. Whatever conversations you're having are going to continue on for the next month or so. Like, whatever's stressing you out is not about to disappear at any point in the future. So, like, just taking a pause. Like, I used to think, like, oh, I need to have, like, an eight-day vacation. And I need to, like, turn off my phone and stay away from everybody. But I found over the summer that, like, sometimes, like, you need half a day. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you need to have, like, a day over the weekend where, like, You are not answering emails. You are not having text conversations, phone conversations with anybody about work. Like you are not going to talk about it. You're not going to really think about it. I used to over the weekend, like try to tinker with things and like listen to stuff and edit or whatever. And now it's just sort of like, no, if I don't give myself this time to deal with whatever's happening work wise in my life or emotionally in my life or just like even just doing the basic shit that I need to do to be a human, like the stuff that I'm sure that you probably like neglect to do for yourself because <laughs> you're doing them for another person, like eat, sleep, clean up after myself, make sure that I have enough toilet paper. Like I've really 
learned that like, and I'm really trying to focus in the second half of the year, working is not always the answer. And that like things that I have to do for myself are as important, if not more important than anything else that I have to like deal with in life. I found that like on days that something happens to a black person where they die or get shot or someone's sacred space is invaded by a mass shooter, I'll leave work at five o'clock. Like I'll leave work as soon as like physically humanly possible. Could I probably get another hour or two done? Yeah. Could I come back early in the morning? Yeah. But like ultimately like what are those hours going to be like? How am I going to feel? Probably pretty fucking shitty. And maybe not everybody has the freedom to take that like on like, you know, a Wednesday to like leave work at five o'clock. But like, I'm realizing that like now and also at previous points in my life where I was working much more difficult hours with much more difficult people making much less money and I have fewer resources, period, that I always had that time. I just like didn't think that I was worth taking it. So that's what's been keeping me sane this summer, just actually like saying no and like actually carving out and protecting time to do absolutely motherfucking nothing. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's something I I try to push you in terms of the boundaries. You've been trying to push me to do this for years. <laughs> yeah, uh, and honestly, it's been it's been great to see you do that because I, I mean I you know even I mean I give you a lot of shit just because that's this default. You do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's nice to see you come back and be like I actually feel pretty good. You know, like we've we've had <laughs> yeah. we've had quite a few of those conversations, whether it be you know this summer or just this past year, I think. Yeah. Um, and and it's great. It's great. Like usually there, usually I give you shit in response to those direct moments because I'm usually not having that day. But uh, but it's nice to know that you are having that. So I'm happy that you found that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it looks different for everybody. For some people, it's going to be like they're going to take a two-hour nap. Yeah. Some people, they're going to play with their kids. You know what I'm saying? Some people, and sometimes this is definitely me, like you just are looking forward to like moving all your furniture around and sweeping everything yeah. and like you know, like dropping some shit off at Goodwill, whatever it is, like just to like take time to just like either get your shit together or or just like allow yourself time to like relax and bask in your own funk if you need to or your own laziness or your own happiness. Like take it because like the world will always be waiting Mm. with a fresh batch of bullshit for you (laughs) to deal with. Exactly. As soon as you're done. So um, that's what's been helping us stay sane this summer. I'm really curious to find out about what you guys have been doing um, because, uh, you know what I'm saying, the season's about to change. Yeah. Yeah. Share that with us. Share that with us. So I think this is actually a good spot to take a break. I would agree. Uh, So we will be back in a moment after some words from our sponsors. Uh, But when we get back, we're going to bust out. Something new. Something new. We're going to get free. We're going to get free. All right. (laughs) (laughs) eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease and a whole lot of love. You transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. 
The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Welcome back. So before we actually go on a field trip, um, I have something to share that's actually connected to, you know, our field exploration. So there's a reason why we're going. There's a reason why we decided to go out of, out of, the I was going to say out of the studio, out of office. Out of office. <laughs> out of town. Yeah. We didn't go out of town. We left the borough though. So I, I think I've probably mentioned this before, but I minored in art history at Howard, uh, which is hilarious because uh, other than podcasting, and whether or not podcasting is art is debatable. Um, other than podcasting, I have no real artistic talent. But, you know, those classes that I took on Romare Bearden and German Expressionism and Contemporary Art, they were some of my favorite classes in all of college. And honestly, they were some of the only classes that I regularly attended. And so after I graduated, I was always looking for ways to stay up on what was happening in art, specifically contemporary art. And that curiosity eventually led me to the Black Contemporary Art Tumblr, which is run by Kim Drew. Uh, really quickly, Kim is the social media manager for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And she came on for Colored Nerds about a year ago to talk about her blog and what it means to be a young black woman in the art world. You remember. It's really, really important to me, too, like to share with people that an access to what you like to do is something that you absolutely deserve and something that you absolutely should feel value in working towards. Mm-hmm. Um because why not? I think for a lot of people, there's this limitation on kind of like chasing what you want. Um, but you should do it. I mean, why not? And there's a lot of ways to do it that aren't like, you know, drop everything and go after it. But find the ways that you can chase what you want within mm-hmm. the sustainable framework of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all that I've done. And that has gotten me to this point. So since I talked to Kim last year... I've been following her and other young black women in the arts pretty closely on social media. Back in July, I noticed that a few of the people that I follow kept posting photos of events at this like really cool art gallery looking space in downtown Manhattan called the Black Art Incubator. So like I heard incubator and I'm like, what? Because like an incubator to me is like one of those like corporate words that I associate with like a place where like entrepreneurs, you know, come and they sit at a round table and they talk and they try to like figure out ways to grow their businesses. But I had no idea what like an art incubator could be like. So another thing that caught my attention was that the photos that I kept seeing on Instagram, the photos that these people were sharing, they didn't feature any actual art. I mean, it it definitely looked like they were in a gallery space. Like I saw a big white room with lots of light and there were a lot of plants, you know, some furniture, some really cool people like Thelma Golden, the director of the Studio Museum in Harlem. She was there. But there was nothing that actually appeared to be like on display. 
And there was this one photo. It was taken by King Texas, who's like one of my favorite photographers. But I, I kept seeing this photo of the four young black women who were behind the whole thing. And one of them ended up being Kim. Hi, my name is Kim Drew. Uh, around the internet, I'm known as Museum Mammy, and I work full-time at the Met doing the museum social media. And then outside of that, I work on a blog called Black Contemporary Art and work on independent curatorial projects. Hi, I'm Jessica Bell Brown. I'm an art historian at Princeton. So just to note, one woman who was in that popular photo but who isn't in this conversation is Taylor Aldridge. She's a co-founder of the Black Art Incubator, and she's also an arts administrator in her hometown of Detroit, Michigan, stand up. And she is co-editor at Arts.Black, which is an online journal for art criticism. And she also, just like you and me, Eric, she went to Howard University. But sadly, Taylor was not in town uh, for our sit down. So you're not going to hear her voice. So the story of this like remarkable art space that I kept seeing all over my Instagram feed actually starts with the day that Kim decided to apply for a residency program at an artist workspace and gallery called Recess. So she wanted to use the 35 day long fellowship to help address the lack of inclusivity that can exist in a lot of art spaces. Well, a lot of spaces in general. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> like every space. <laughs> exactly, like every space. So when she was preparing to apply for this fellowship, her first pick for a collaborator was a no-brainer. She decided upon writer and actually Taylor's partner at Arts.Black, Jessica Lynn. Last winter, Kim and I were having dinner and drinks at Black Swan and just thinking about like what it meant to be young, female-identified Black women working in the arts. And so Kim asked, like, hey, are you interested in like working on a collaborative project at Recess? Let's loop Jessica and Taylor in. And we got on a Google document maybe two days later and just started plugging away. So the four women set about assessing the needs of their community and how they could address them with a residency at Recess. You know, the art world as we know it is pretty siloed. Like you have the galleries and museums, you have art critics, arts foundations that provide grants. And it's not really always clear to the artist how these components work together. Kim, Jessica, Jessica and Taylor hoped that by taking over the recess space for 35 days and using it as a place for public education, they could help to connect some of those dots. Here's Jessica Lynn again. Immediately, we recognized that a really fantastic way to do that would to be to organize a series of workshops and sessions and inviting in the people that we respect, the people that we've learned from, um, people that we call friends and colleagues to help us get this thing off the ground. That idea to take an artist workspace and open it up to the community as an educational and collaborative space, that's what helped them secure the residency at Recess. And so during their 35-day stay, during July and August, they created nearly 30 free programs. Wow. I know. Isn't that a lot? Yeah, it's crazy. I know. It's like literally almost like one for every single yeah. day. But yeah, and they were all like they were all focused on enriching the lives and like the practices of black artists. And they were all open to the public. And, you know, I mean, they did all this different stuff. Like they held regular talks with major figures in the New York art world. They led yoga and meditation sessions to address the importance of self-care. Self-care, very important. Shout out to the first half of the show. You know, they even organized a book swap and they closed the whole thing with a potluck. You know, in the traditional sense, no art was made. You know what I'm saying? You didn't walk away with, like, the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Right. But the goal 
of these four women wasn't really to create a physical static work of art to hang on a wall or to put on a pedestal. It was to use conversation and education and an exchange of ideas to leave an indelible mark on their community. And they decided to name the project the Black Art Incubator. Mm. It's kind of to the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, straightforward. Straightforward. <laughs> Leaves nothing to the imagination. Um, so actually, the, a leader of one... So the Black Art Incubator's programming was centered around four core elements. So the incubator is rooted in four core kind of components. Mm-hmm. The art and money workshops, where we've had folks like artists Dred Scott think through marketing strategies for artists, grant and residency application strategies. The second component is the archival practice workshop. We've had Sir Rodney Sir, who's really important figure um, in the New York art scene in the late 70s, early 80s, really important black queer artist who's a fantastic archivist himself. Our third component is the Open Crip, mm-hmm. which is designed to bring or offer the formal feedback setting that you might find in a university, for example, to um, a different type of public, and even in some instances extend that for artists who find themselves in the world still in need and still um, hungry for that space, but not necessarily knowing where to go to get that. And then lastly, we've had the office hours, which is a component not necessarily unlike the open crit, but a little more um, formally invested in conversations around professional practices that art administrators may be wrestling with. Um, and so we've had folks like Shido Project Patti from MoMA come in and lead a session. So here comes the field trip part. Yes. Yes. So one day last month in August, Eric and I actually got a chance to see the space. Yes, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was like, it was filled with all this like simple, like modular furniture that you could like move around in all these different ways. And on the day we were there, it had been arranged kind of like a small classroom where uh, you had one long table that was surrounded by a bunch of chairs. And then there were a few more chairs kind of throughout the room to accommodate for like people who came in late or overflow. And on the day we were there, like, you know, the place was pretty full. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah. And in every single chair in the room sat like a young artist type of person. And basically meaning people who appear to be much cooler than Eric or I. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but the, well, one of the coolest things is that almost everybody there who, who self-identified as an artist was black. So Eric and I got to sit in on one of the art and money talks. So like the art and money component of the Black Art Incubator was the brainchild of Kim and Taylor. And they wanted to connect seasoned artists and financial gatekeepers with younger, like less experienced artists to really break down the more logistical aspects of making art, like how to protect your content, how to apply for grants and how to market your work as an artist. So the session that we attended was led by Larry Osei Mensa. Larry is an independent curator, and he's also the co-founder of Art Noir, which is a global arts organization. And he talked about how to navigate the social side of the art world. So it's like, how do you leverage uh, the collective power that's present within your immediate network, within your extended network to create mm-hmm. opportunities visibility and actualize the goals that you have as an individual and as an artist. So the session covered four facets of any artist's career, artistic practice, brand development, 
relationship management and professionalism and likability, which were like not really things that I necessarily knew that you really needed to think about as an artist. Yeah, it's not on a typical syllabus. No, not on a typical syllabus. And Larry started the session by having participants pair off in twos and then ask their respective partners a deceptively simple question. How do you describe your art? It's a, a hard thing to do with cameras and, <laughs> and, and microphones because I'm, I'm still uh, kind of figuring that out. I've been doing, uh, been doing a lot of design work and working for a lot of a lot of clients and like painting in very abstract ways and trying to connect, uh, trying to connect what I've been doing creatively to the things I've been thinking about and not finding forms for. Um, yeah, that's why kind do you of, paint paintings? It's what I've always done, so habit. But I, I don't know if that's a good reason, or if I'm trying to find a way to make break apart what that means. So I'm yeah. like trying a lot of things that like break every piece of that, and like trying to figure out what pieces need to stay and what what can go. Yeah, um, I think that's interesting to think about the pieces of a painting. Yeah, and like what realities are created around a painting. And like how it functions yeah. in space. There's, yeah, painting isn't dead. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> so that's Zach Johnson and Rin Johnson. No relation. Although Eric thinks that they might be cousins. We're all cousins. The diaspora. It's real. Anyway, anyway, after getting participants like Zach and Rin to think critically about their identities as artists, Larry schooled us all on how like a shrewd business sense is a career necessity for any artist. His session actually lasted about two hours, and it was so detailed that, like, everyone in attendance, myself and Eric included, had to, like, open up a notebook and sit down and take, like, careful notes. We're sitting there getting a word. We were getting... We were getting a word. It was like being in school again. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like a good class. But like a good class, exactly. One that I wouldn't skip. Uh, so like Eric and I, we are not visual artists. True. Yeah. But we each got a lot out of Larry's presentation. I mean, it, it directly concerned the art world, sure, but it really spoke to just the difficulty and the opportunity of being a young, black, creative person of any kind. You know, his presentation was real. It was informative, and he didn't skimp on any detail, obviously, as evidenced by all the notes that we took. But, you know, it, it wasn't really the kind of information that you ever see given away for free. And Larry pointed that out as one of the most important benefits of the Black Art Incubator. And it's just been amazing to see the various folks who've come through uh, within the last month and just, mm-hmm. you know, one, give their time, mm-hmm. two, give their resources and insight, um, and all very generously you know because i think it's 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 particularly within the art world people aren't as generous and forthcoming about what they know but larry was willing to share and it's information that he could easily be getting paid for before presenting at the black art incubator larry had taught this session as a part of a course at the school for visual arts which is an art and design college in new york We asked him why it was important. We asked him why it was so important to recreate this type of session at the Black Art Incubator. 
Because I really believe in the work that um, the ladies are doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's important work. It's essential to take this conversation out of just a traditional institutional context, Mm -hmm. taking it out of the classroom, but still trying to give you those essential elements and nuggets. And I also think, you know, there's something to be said about engaging in these conversations in a safe space, right? Mm. Um, Where there isn't going to be judgment and you know that the information is being shared from a point of love and compassion yeah. and empathy uh, with the desire to give you the tools to actualize whatever the goals are for yourself. After the session, we wanted to know more about what exactly brings young Black artists like Rin to the Black Art Incubator. Rin's story really drove home one of the biggest benefits of a program like this, increasing access. I just got back from Bard doing my first year in the sculpture program to get my MFA. Um, so this is like one of the first of these things that I was able to come to. Um, but yeah, I'm, that, that's what brought me here. But of course, I have a lot to learn because uh, I am a young artist. And so this is kind of a really amazing way to get a lot of free information that they teach us at graduate school, but also are sometimes hesitant to teach us at graduate school. So it's like kind of a a nice, very straightforward way of uh, demystifying some of the things that are present in the art world. What do you mean when you say hesitant to teach you? Um, I just mean that like, I think that graduate schools, art graduate schools historically are like meant to be practice based and practice focused. And so their job with us is to make our work as strong as possible. It's not necessarily like considered their job historically to teach us how to network or teach us how to write a grant proposal. Um, within my graduate school, there's kind of different splinter factions. Like uh-huh. Some people are like, yeah, 100% we're going to teach you how to write a grant proposal. And other professors are kind of like, maybe that's not necessary. Um, but I, I think both of those spaces are valid. But it's also, too, a question for me to be like, well, I want this information. I'm going to go try and find it. And the incubator has made it very easy to access a lot of that information. Beyond access, there was a deeper reason that Rin was here, one that a lot of us can identify with. This environment feels really amazing because there's a lot of black people here, frankly. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people (laughs) of color here, and it feels wonderful because at school I definitely felt in the minority, and um, I am in the minority, and in fact our class is called the most diverse class ever, and that's great, I think, but Uh there's definitely some moments of isolation there, and here I don't feel like, oh, like there's there's the black kid, like, doing the black kid thing. It's definitely more like a frank conversation about, like, what is relevant to me, actually, as a young black artist, and, like, what do I need to know to, like, move forward in these spaces that are predominantly white? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so it's, like, a really cool thing. It's definitely way more comfortable. And Rin's feeling of comfort in what was described as a safe space is exactly what Kim, Jessica, Jessica, and Taylor were shooting for with the Black Art Incubator. They wanted to make room for those who don't often get a seat at the table. But creating that safe space wasn't without its challenges. Here's Kim. Every time that we would explain it to someone and someone would say, we don't know what you're doing, like being going through that work and understanding that there's something that's worth continuing to push forward especially too it's been so clarifying to see it in its final week now I don't know having the, the residue of all these conversations being had in this space has been really incredible um, I wish everyone could have come to all the programs because I feel like you get to see this like beautiful quilt of conversation still beyond the success of the programming and beyond the quilt of conversation that Kim referenced 
you get the sense that the four women behind the Black Art Incubator have a really keen understanding of just how huge it is that not just that the programming is being offered, but that they are the people for Black women who are offering it. Here's Jessica Lynn. This project would look very different if we were for diff- other different type of people, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But it strikes me as being especially profound because it's for self-identified Black women in a moment of many moments where Black women are often devalued, hypervisible and invisible at the same time. And so I think to be positioning ourselves physically in a storefront in Soho with our names on, in vinyl, um, on a window, says something. But I also think to be working collectively from a particular vantage point says a lot, right? That's something that I think has been especially transcendent in this project. Um, and I think folks are grabbing hold to that and supporting it. And honestly, she's right. Like, the energy of the Black Art Incubator was empowering and it was refreshing. And even just reading the names of four Black women about my age on that downtown Manhattan storefront, it just it just made me feel good. These women, not totally unlike me, had taken a prestigious artistic residency located in one of the world's biggest cultural centers, and they turned it into a living, breathing community space dedicated to the education and survival of an entire community of Black artists. As a Black artist, it's not just enough to be talented and creative. You also have to be savvy. You have to be a good communicator. And there's definitely pressure to be well-connected. Being a young Black artist is challenging, but seeing so many young artists hammer out their ideas and inspire each other in real time, you know, it reminded me that despite the struggle, Black creativity is worth it. There's one more lesson that I took away from our trip to the Black Art Incubator, and it is made no more clear than in this reflection from Jessica Bell Brown. We're doing the damn thing, and we should honor that and honor ourselves and, and you know, be emboldened by that because no one else is, or you can't wait until for someone else to, to, to do the thing that you've always wanted to do. So just do it and take shit later. <laughs> That's good. No, that is make your own table. To learn more about the Black Art Incubator, go to recessart.org slash black art incubator. And special thanks to Annie Rose Strasser for helping us edit this week's show. To support for colored nerds. To support for colored nerds. You can give to us on Patreon. Patreon. At, yes. At patreon.com slash for colored nerds. Or you can leave us a little rating and a little review on iTunes. Five stars only. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Uh, it helps people find the show, and it really lets everybody know how fucking on point we are. Yes. Very popping. Yes. <laughs> very well, popping. Thank you for listening to this week's show, and we'll be back soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, I was in sync That's that weird. time. That's so weird. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.